Welcome to Mission Point. We're so glad that you've joined us in person today and online. We have just a few short announcements to share with you before our service begins. Our ladies' Bible study is this Wednesday at 10 a.m. We are doing our study of the book of John, getting to know Jesus better. We hope you can join us. Hi, I'm Jane Green, and my husband and I run the hyphen department here in the church. We are promoting the Hyphen District event happening November 24th to the 25th in Fredericton. To sign up for this, you can join the Atlantic Youth Instagram, Facebook, or website to register for this event. We cannot wait to see you all. Me? Me? Guys, did you just pick me for the Ugly Christmas Sweater Award? Thank you so much. Eugene, what are you doing? I'm practicing my speech for when I win the Ugly Christmas Sweater Award. But we're supposed to be telling everyone about the party. Right, that's why that camera's right there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, anyway, hi Mission Point, I'm Laurel, this is Eugene, and we want to invite you to our MP Couples Ugly Christmas Sweater Party on December 9th at 6 p.m. It's going to be a great time with food, games, and lots of prizes to be won. That's right, tickets are $15 a person, and they can be purchased from either me or Sister Vicki Lackey, and that includes a catered meal, dessert, and childcare. It's going to be a great time. We hope to see you there. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. If I have a Naya, could I win the ugly Christmas sweater party? No, sorry, that's not how that works. Aww. Hi ladies, are you new to Mission Point or looking for a time of fellowship? If so, we have an event for you. It is called the Ladies Real Event. It is a time of relationships, encouragement, apostolic living, and laughter. In November, we're going to talk about Christmas. A few ladies are going to share the Christmas traditions with us. It is sure to be interesting and get us into the holiday spirit. So join us on Saturday, November 25th at 9.30. I know it's early, but we'll make it worth your while. And bring a friend. We'll see you there. So we just want to invite you to join us for our ladies' old-fashioned Christmas party in the Fellowship Hall on December the 7th at 7 p.m. Make sure that you sign up on the iPad in the lobby and wear a Christmas item. You can wear sweaters, socks, or even a headband. And please bring a white elephant gift. That is a gift that you have sitting around at home that you never use and you'll have some fun exchanging gifts. You can make a donation at the door as well. Half the proceeds will go to the less fortunate children. And more importantly, bring a friend and have fun. See you there. Hi, my name is Rose. I am a member of I Stand, but not alone, a group for those who attend church without a partner. If you fit this category, I would like to invite you to our Christmas tea, hosted by our hyphen young adult group on Saturday, December 16th, from 4 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. This is a dress-up event, and we will be exchanging gifts in a Yankee swap, joined by our hyphen group members. Please sign up in the lobby on the iPad by December 8th if you plan to attend. Please see me or Nina or Vernon Boyd if you have any questions. Merry Christmas! You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior.
uh, just had a, an incredible event for our district to all the leadership, pastoral ministry, people who work with pastors in any capacity. Uh, we all met for a conference, equip conference, just this past weekend, Friday and Saturday. And um, what a powerful event that we had. And at that event, we were blessed to have Dr. Clay and Janet Jackson with us. And they're from Tennessee, and they're wonderful children. And uh, I'm going to introduce them this morning. They're with us. They're church planters in Arlington, Tennessee. They've dedicated their ministry to sharing the love of God in the surrounding communities. Dr. Jackson is a bivocational, trivocational minister with a private practice in family medicine. And he's a leader of the palliative medicine program at the West Cancer Center. He's the co-author of the book, The Apostolic Family. And Sister Janet Jackson ministered locally through leading worship and teaching. She has a teaching background and uh, serving their family. And the family that's with them here is Ellie. Ellie's their daughter. And the twins, Jude and Bennett. And we have been absolutely blessed to have them uh, with us in our district. I will tell you just, um, Dr. Jackson affected my life majorly about four years ago. At the time, he probably didn't even know that he did, but he did. And so in one of my classes for my master's at UGST, he was doing a lecture for Dr. Miller in um, one of the courses. And uh, in that lecture, uh, Dr. Jackson made a statement that uh, changed my thinking, um, gave me a direction on what I would write my dissertation capstone on for my master's. And, um, and I said at the conference that he helped me pass. So I'm thankful for that. I don't even know if he realized that at the time. But um, he gave me uh, a proper uh, paper to write in one of his statements. And the statement was this. Uh, he, he said, if you or we spent more time with our children before the age of five training them, then we wouldn't have to spend as much time dealing with issues in their life between ages 20 and 25. And so that was the statement that he made that caught my attention, that caused me to write my uh, capstone dissertation paper on on um, training children biblically by age five, uh, dealing with children individually, and then also dealing with societal issues of children. So Dr. Jackson, thank you for having a huge part of my life and um, also for your family to be with us at Mission Point. Uh, we've got to spend a, two or three days with them uh, this week and they are just class people. Would you come and minister to us this morning, Dr. Jackson? Would you welcome him to the house of the Lord this morning and to this pulpit? Isn't it wonderful to be in God's house? So good to be in God's house. I, uh, it never gets old to me. I, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm getting more tender as I age, I don't know, but 
I have a hard time refraining from weeping when I get together with God's people. And uh, it seems like that, uh, if it's, especially if it's in a different culture or nation, just seeing all the different people worshiping the Lord this morning, it just touched me so much. And it's clear that you love the Lord. And I just think of that text that says one day every tribe and every nation, every kindred, we're going to lift our voices. And to me, around this altar today and through these pews, it's just felt a lot like heaven. I wonder if we could just love the Lord and just lift up his name again. I, I just feel like he, he enjoys this. I feel like he's been waiting on this day for you to get here. And I think he's been waiting for you to walk in. I think his presence has been eager for this moment when you would lift your heart and your soul and your hands and your voice and your eyes and your face and you would praise and worship. And glor- Can we just worship him and glorify him together? King of kings, Lord of lords. God of gods, the one who's redeemed us, we love and adore you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful to be with you. I'm so thankful that my wife and our three little children uh, were able to make it. They've been mostly behaved for the last three days, but we've asked a lot out of them. They've needed to be quiet for extended periods of time and sit down, act like adults, and, you know, we adults don't do that well sometimes, so if they go crazy, just remember that half of their genetics comes from me. Their, their mom is very classy, and she's very elegant. She's very much a protocol lady. She's, I try to get people to meet her first, because you really like our family if you meet her first, but... I put some wildness in our boys, and so uh, just uh, if they go nuts. It's a Pentecostal church. They shouldn't make too much ruckus. You guys should drown it all out. We're, it's not, well, I'm not going to name any other groups, but, you know, it's pretty loud in here most of the time. We're in a church plant. There's no place to hide them. We don't have enough people, so when they act out at home, you know that they're acting out. I uh, have heard Brother Carter speak about his dissertation, and, um, I now feel so guilty for causing you so much work. <laughs> Thousands of hours. So the, the, the sentence that lost, launched a thousand references. So I'm just uh, thankful that you're still my friend. We've been so blessed. Um, the district meeting was phenomenal. It's very clear it's a unified district that's moving forward and progressing in the kingdom of God. And then to be at this church today and to experience the presence of God with you. The, we're from the American South, and we like to think that we really own hospitality. We don't have very good weather. We don't have a lot of mountains or ocean. But we think that we're hospitable people. But I have to tell you that being here with you guys, it's been amazing. Um, our hotel has like 12 baskets left over of things. I, I thought we were going to need a U-Haul to take it all away today. It was amazing, and uh, I've been so kind, um, just so kind, and I just appreciate that. People of God are good people. 
I know we got some stinkers. Every group does. But in our group, God's working on the stinkers, so it's okay. But by and large, the people of God are the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. Are you thankful to be part of the family of God? Good. Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to an Old Testament and a New Testament text today. Two verses, one from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and one from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. I feel somewhat inadequate today to communicate to you the momentous truth that the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you. I wish that my oratory and my powers of persuasion were greater, but it is my will, and I believe that it is God's will, that over the next 20 to 25 minutes, you would come to understand that in the kingdom of God, accident is not a real word. It's a... God works by intentionality. And it is no accident that you are here at this moment in your life. It's no accident you've been planted together with this group of people. And the pressure of prophecy is at our back. And we have a unique opportunity to do something and to accomplish things for the Lord that have never been accomplished in history. I'm convinced of it. I believe that the greatest days of the church are days that you and I will live. I believe that the greatest miracles that God is going to do are miracles that you and I will see. And I believe that the greatest revivals that have ever graced this planet are revivals that you and I will pray down from heaven and that God will help us to have. So I want to ask the Holy Spirit today to raise your level of faith and to let the scales fall from your eyes that you can see that God has brought you here now to be part of the greatest things that he has reserved for our time. Isaiah 53, verse 8. Speaking of the suffering servant, there's an entire group of texts about this prophecy of someone who would come and they would represent God to humanity and humanity to God. And we now know on the other side of the cross that this prophecy applies to Jesus. Famous scriptures such as verse 4, surely he's borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was wounded, verse 5, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We are healed. I'd just like to say as a parenthetical comment today, if anyone came into this building needing physical healing in your body, if you need healing in your mind or healing in your spirit, healing in your marriage or your family, if you have not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you've not been baptized in water in Jesus' name, it is appropriate at any time for you to access the presence of God for exactly what you need. We are an apostolic church. 
We believe that the Lord works with his people throughout the service. So whatever you need, you can throw up your hands and God can meet your needs with healing today. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. The prophecy of the Garden of Gethsemane. But I want to draw out this phrase, who shall declare his generation? Who shall declare his generation? And then from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, now, any time that you see that, you probably ought to go back a verse. The previous verse, are they not all ministering spirits now to minister to those who inherit salvation? So the angels come to minister to us because we have inherited salvation. You didn't earn your salvation. Inheritors do not, it's not a wage that they receive. They receive an inheritance because it's a gift. Someone stored up for them. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. But he said, therefore, we should be more attentive to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Drift away. That word to drift away is a nautical term. Now, y'all know about boats, and I'm going to exhaust my ignorance here in just a minute, but I do know you're supposed to take a rope, and there are these things on the dock, and they're metal, and they stick out both ways, and you can wrap the rope around that. And I know that when you tie that down like that, it's called mooring a ship. Am I okay so far? I didn't come from Newfoundland or New Brunswick, so I've, that's about all I know. I know about bass boats. But this is a nautical term, and if a boat is not tied down, it'll just drift with the tide and the current, and it will wind up away from the shore where it's no good to anyone. And what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us is that since we've inherited salvation, it's important for us not to drift away. I just make a challenge to you right now. If you think this culture is going to cause you to drift toward Christ, and you're just relying on the current of this culture to take you to Jesus with your family, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you're going to have to make a concerted effort against the current of this culture to find yourself at the feet of the Savior because this culture does not lead you toward Christ. It leads you away from Christ. And the writer of Hebrews encourages us not to drift away. And I ask the Spirit to speak to us for a few moments today on our time, our time. Lord, these are your people and the sheep of your pasture. They have invested their time and effort to be in your house. And we have received teaching from your word that was wonderful this morning. We have experienced your presence and we have worshiped you today. And so we ask you, Lord, as your word goes forth, that you would bless the hearers and the doers, that we might be more like you in the name of Jesus. I alluded to it a moment ago. This current generation is under extreme pressure of ambient culture. There has never been a generation where you could just drift into heaven. There's never been a time from the Garden of Eden forward Brother Carter, you could just cruise into Christianity or you could just relax into righteousness. 
It's always been a challenge for God's people to stand against an inimical world and to stand for the truth in the face of the lie, to stand for the right in the face of the wrong, and to stand for the good in the face of the evil. There has never been a halcyon time. And sometimes we look back to former times and say, oh, it was so great then, it was so great then. But honestly, each generation has had its own difficulties. But I must say that today, it seems as if society has come unhinged with respect to the truths of the Word of God. And Satan has many devices, but he continues to attack people to keep them from knowing the truth, living the truth, and sharing the truth. My generation, Satan distracted people by tempting them to yield their time and energy to hobbies and achievements in an affluent generation. But today, utilizing various tools of technology, it seems that he has invaded every nook and cranny of private space and quiet time with so much information that the prophetic cry of be still and know that I am God is completely foreign to people in this world. They have to be fought for even in our lives as people of the church. Satan convinced my generation that so long as an activity occurred between consenting adults, anything goes. I'm going to keep this sermon at a G-level rating today, but you understand what I mean. Today, Satan has convinced our current generation, as long as you consent, there's no moral limit on who you are or your identity. So it's not just what you do that Satan has attacked now. It's who you are. He's attacked not only the righteousness of God as expressed by humans, but he's expressed, he's attacked the image of God the male and female image of God. My generation, we struggle to convince people that we possess the truth. In the current generation, the challenge is getting people to acknowledge that truth exists at all. Everyone speaks of speaking my truth or your truth. Can I tell you with respect, friend, there's no such thing as your truth. There's no such thing as my truth. There's just the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to come to God is by Him. Pluralistic society, we're challenged to continue to love people without affirming evil actions. To speak the truth without denigrating others. To do the, the work of reconciliation with humility. But to speak the word of reconciliation with authority. It is a sobering time, and I just want to tell you that we need the Holy Spirit to be victorious in this hour as a church. Are we an apostolic people? I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the beautiful singing. I, I appreciate the graphics in the art. I appreciate the, the wonderful lobby and how it's set up and all of the things that, you, that you've carefully thought through to help people connect I appreciate all of that, and I don't denigrate any of it. And, and believe me, we're, we're taking notes. There's so many things that you do so well that we need to do. But friend, can I tell you, we will never market our way to revival in a society 
that is hell-bent for turning from the things of God. We still need people who know how to pray until revival comes. We still need people who know how to fast until the stench of fasting breath fills the house and the flesh of people falls down before the face of God and we know how to connect with Him in a way that is powerful and real. I still believe that people can drive by the highway and feel compelled to come in because there's something in their car that will draw them into this building. I still believe that there are people that will sit here and although you're very comfortable with them and you're very kind with them, that they'll begin to grip their seat and their knuckles will turn white because the conviction of the Holy Spirit will shake their hearts. We need real revival in this hour real revival we're in a very affluent town where we live most people have very nice automobiles and houses our educational level in our town is very high but I will tell you even with all of those advantages in our community in our little church plant, we have people that walk through the door with real problems. And we need a real revival to deal with real problems. It is not time to play Pentecost. It is not time to pantomime being apostolic. But it is time to plant our feet firmly on the Word of God. To thrust our hands in the air. To grab the sickle and thrust it into the field. And say, Lord, I'm not changing. Because you change not. And you're bringing revival. The pressure of prophetic momentum is upon us. We are living in the last hours and the last days. The twilight of the church age has come upon us. What must be done for the Lord must be done well. It must be done with our whole heart. And it must be done now. You say now? You see, we are living under dueling prophecies. Paul said to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 13 of his second letter, and you, we shouldn't be taken by surprise. I mean, is anybody frustrated with the direction of the world? Or are you just happy with it? Is anybody frustrated? It's not a political statement. I'm not going to bash Trudeau or Biden or someone don't get nervous. Are you just upset about the direction of the world? When we sing, I, don't, I can't feel at home in this world anymore, I can sing that with more conviction than I used to sing it. Because I feel less and less at home in this planet the further we go. But we shouldn't be surprised. Paul told Timothy, evil men are going to grow worse and worse. We are under a prophecy. If you think that culture is just going to change and suddenly it's going to become friendly to Christianity, you're up against a prophecy, okay? You're up against a prophecy. But that's not the only prophecy that applies to our generation. There's another prophecy that applies. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse. But I came to encourage the church today because there's a prophecy from Joel chapter 2. It was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And that prophecy is this. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will have visions. 
I'm here to tell you today the culture's not going to get better, but the church is going to get better. The church is going to get bigger. The church is going to be greater. The church is going to be more powerful. The church is going to be more anointed. The church is going to be more apostolic than we've ever been before. Who will declare his generation? The tragedy of the suffering servant as prophesied by Isaiah was that he would not receive justice although he had given his life as a ransom for many that his life would be cut off. So important in Hebraic culture, the genealogies of so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you see all through the scripture these tracings of families and even how they apportioned their land had to do with their censuses that they had and all of the family tree that they could trace. And so to have a spiritual leader who was anointed by God, who had no issue from his body and could not foster future generations was a scandal. A suffering servant, not a triumphant Messiah. They couldn't understand it. The prophet said, who will declare his generation? Who will declare his generation? I want to take that word generation and I want to share with you a few thoughts today about where we are. We are in an unprecedented moment, an apostolic experience. It is a moment that has never been seen on our planet. There has never been a single revivalist movement that has come to the fifth generation and has kept its core tenets and doctrine intact and its core practices intact. The Lutherans failed. The Methodists failed. The Anabaptists failed. The Baptists failed. The Holiness Movement failed. Every revivalist movement, the German Pietists, they all failed. You study church history. There's a, a, a landmark message that was preached in the form of a question at the 1968 General Conference of the United Pentecostal Church International by Brother Chambers. Stan Chambers asked a question. Will the United Pentecostal Church survive the onslaught of history? And he made it known to our people that there was a cessation of, of, of revival and revivalist movements through subsequent generations. Brother Dan Butler in the late 1980s wrote a book called The Last Generation of Truth in which he forwarded that each of these generations had declined unto the point that in previous revivalist movements, they never kept who they were. The first generation. The first generation of any revivalist movement are outcasts. They're the people that other people throw rotten tomatoes at. Now, there's a few distinguished people here and there. But the first generation of a revivalist movement is people that nobody else wants. It was true for Jesus. The first time he declared his Messiahship was to a woman at a well in Shechem, in Samaria. An outcast. Even her own people, the old ladies, would not go to the, to, the, to the well with her. She was in the middle of the day rather than the cool of the day because she was an outcast. Pentecost began with outcasts. But that first generation has something precious. They have a sense of deliverance. The second generation 
is no longer outcasts. They become learners. They get education. But they don't have so much deliverance from lives of dissipation as they have devotion. And their holiness tends to be parent-centered more than God-centered. The third generation of a revivalist movement is a generation of builders. And I thank God for our third generation. Many of the buildings that we worship in all across North America were built by the third generation of Pentecost. But in each revivalist movement previous to ours, their third generation has focused on temporal things and buildings more than spiritual things and doctrines. The fourth generation of each revivalist movement before us has become influencers, outcasts, learners, builders, influencers. And in the fourth generation of every revivalist movement before Pentecost, (laughs) that fourth generation has traded in their covenantal distinctions that Pastor taught us about this morning for cultural cachet. And they traded it in. And that's why there has never, even the New Testament church by 150 A.D. had lost its distinctions from contemporary society and faded into the background and into the oblivion of proto-Catholicism. We never have had a fifth generation of apostolics. Never. Until now. And today when I walked in this building, I saw worship that the first generation of Pentecost would be very comfortable with. I heard teachings that the first generation of Pentecost would be very comfortable with. And I'm telling you, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, that God himself has waited 2,000 years for this moment and this generation. You have more affluence than we've ever had. You've had more education than we've ever had. You have better buildings than we've ever had. You have schools and theologies that we never had. But I'm here to tell you today, it is not for our consumption. It is not for our pleasure. It is for the taking of this earth, for the glory of our King. God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. The people of God shall know their God and they will do exploits, the prophet Daniel said. Somebody worship the Lord with me today. If you believe that God has a purpose for your life and a purpose for your ministry, a purpose for your family. having been brought 2,000 years from the upper room until now, facing the pressure of prophetic momentum, having a chance to accomplish what has never happened before in church history. I, I spoke with a friend of mine last night. These numbers blow me away. I spoke with a friend of mine last night who has a, a program for apostolic ministry in which... He and his colleagues teach people about what it means to be apostolic. He asked me to come on this program. He's a oneness evangelist. And I said, I'll be happy to come on this program. He's a United Pentecostal Church minister. I said, how many people will you have on this program? He said, we'll have 3,000 in the hour that you're speaking, but we'll have 70,000 that will view each program. People are hungry for apostolic truth. People are hungry for apostolic anointing. Right. 
And I have a request of you today. If, if, if God has brought us to this time for this hour, my request of you is let's continue to be truly apostolic in doctrine. Let's don't compromise one jot or one tittle. Let us be who God has made us to be. Let's be apostolic in demonstration. Let's don't be ashamed to worship the Lord. I long for the days when we shout our hair down, when we roll on the floor before the Lord, when we weep and we cry and we dance and we shout and we speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Let's be apostolic in devotion. Bishop G.T. Haywood, your, your resume for preaching in his church consisted in his office of raising your trousers. And Bishop Haywood would see if you had calluses on your knees. And that was the degree that it took to preach at Calvary. Let's be apostolic in Feel what the Spirit is saying. Let's be genuine. You know, you know what I, you know, you know what bothers me. What bothers me is Jesus' word that that man that he brought his son to the disciples and they couldn't cast out the devil and his son wouldn't speak and his son was thrown into the fire and the water and, and, and he said. He said, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast him out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Let's be apostolic in devotion. Because the needs are so real that religion and retail religion is not going to take care of it. We need an authentic apostolic witness in this hour. I would to God that your devotion is so great and your prayer and fasting is so great that there's no wickedness that can't be fixed in this building, that there's no sickness that can't be healed in this building, that there's no family that can't be restored in this building. <coughs> Let's be apostolic. Let's be apostolic in distinction. Not like everybody else. You're weird. I'm weird. First Peter 2.9 says that's the way we're supposed to be. We're peculiar. We're supposed to be different. If you're blending in, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to be different. Let's be distinctive as apostolics. Let's be distinctive. You ought to be able to identify us 50 feet away by the spirit that we have and the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we look and the way that we speak and the way that we act. Let's be distinctive. Devotion, doctrine. Let's be distinctive. Let's be apostolic. Let's be apostolic in divine authority. Now, 30-second Bible lesson, power and authority are different things. Power is having a gun. Authority is having a gun and a badge. And when you have integrity with God, you have authority. Everybody's got power. Don't pray for more power. That's a misguided prayer. It, 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 Jesus said, I, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he said, you shall receive power after you receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll be witnesses all over the earth. If you're praying for more power, stop it. Pray for authority. What that means is 
you're actually in line with the purpose of God so that the power can be used. You got plenty of power. You got enough power to blow up the planet. You can say to a mountain, be moved to the sea. We need to pray for authority that we can align with God's plan, submit to his purposes in order that he can use us without fear of losing us. Amen? Let's be apostolic in dominion. Let's, let's just get together and let's be unified. And let's just let God's rule come to our community. I love what you said about growing the family, growing the church, and then growing the community. The absolute best thing in St. John is this church right here and all the satellite congregations associated with it. This is the epicenter for St. John in being a godly and righteous community. Let's have dominion in our city. Let's make it so that no demon can be comfortable in St. John. Let's make it so that no spiritual opposition can be in St. John. He says, is everybody going to get saved? Probably not. Jesus came, and there were some places he couldn't do a lot of miracles because people didn't have faith. And the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish. And some people uh, just going to choose what they're going to choose. Human sovereignty is human sovereignty. But here's what I challenge you to do today. I challenge you to pray so hard that every person in St. John has an opportunity to encounter the gospel without demonic opposition or demonic deception and that they have an earnest, open chance to respond to the gospel. That you can do as a church. That is in your power as a church to have dominion to rule over this community by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. I wish you'd lift your hands with me right now and I wish you'd pray for every person in the St. John community to experience the gospel and to have an encounter with the anointing that Satan would take their clutches off of them and Satan would release them to receive a revelation of the gospel that they will no longer be deceived and that they will have a hunger for the word of God the name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah let's be apostolic in destiny I love it that your name is mission point missio and apostoline are the Latin and Greek words for apostle what, what it means to be apostolic is to be on mission if, you're, if you say you're apostolic and you're not on mission, you're a fraud. Now, your mission can be at the end of your driveway. It can be around your coffee house. But every one of us has a mission from God. I'm deputizing you right now under the authority of the Holy Ghost and of our pastor to be a missionary in your community. Teach a Bible study. Bring someone to church. Pray for someone. I love Acts 2. we got a lot of power in the upper room, but I really love Acts 3 where they said, you know, you don't even have to get to the upper room. We can pray for you right here and right now. I believe if you lift your hand to heaven right now, God will put healing in your hands. I believe that God will honor your prayers, that you can lay hands on people at work and they'll speak with other tongues. You can lay hands on people at school and they'll be delivered from depression and anxiety. You can lay hands on people in your neighborhood and they can be healed of cancer or hypertension or other illnesses because we are powerful as a church, but the power doesn't end when we walk out the door. That same power lives inside of us. Amen. 
you stand with me right now? I'm done. I told you I don't know how to communicate in the way I'd like to. But what I want to impress you with today is this thought. God has been waiting for this moment. And God has finally got us to a place where if we will actually just do what He wants us to do, and if we will be what He wants us to be, there is no limit on the revival that He can bring. I'm so excited for your satellite churches. I'm so excited that you've taken people from sitting and you've taken them from serving. I'm so excited that in just a few moments, service is going to begin when we leave. You're going to go into your community and you're going to bless other people. That just absolutely thrills me to my core to know what God is doing through this church. And I just want to encourage you today. God has you here for this moment. Who will declare His generation? Who will declare His generation? I'm going to declare His generation today. Colossians 1.18 says, He's the firstborn from the dead. And there are some people in this room today that have been raised to new life through that suffering servant. And you are declaring His generation throughout this earth. In this time, in this hour, you're saying, I'm going to stand with Him. You see, He's the firstborn of many sons and many daughters. And if that resurrection powers you to, in you today, then God has a mission for you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.